Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. Pete is again out, but he will be back eventually. Uh, Today, we are talking about Minute 82, which begins with Cap tossing the Hydra Trooper out of the top of the Uber tank and ends with Marita intercepting a signal. Back on the show, we have Will Freeland from the Hype Is My Superpower podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Loving these minutes. I am thrilled uh, to talk about this. We're wrapping up our montage here at the start of this as we see Steve pull open this hatch, grab the Hydra Trooper, and just toss him out. As we'll see in a moment... This is the Uber tank, which is, according to the Marvel Wiki, three times the size of a regular tank. That is quite the fall for the Hydra Trooper. <laughs> he, just, he goes up, and then he's falling all the way down. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, poor this guy. Moment. <laughs> well, and I swear that this is a use of the Wilhelm scream, which is, of course, a famous cinematic scream recorded early on that keeps getting used over and over again. And, and his scream, when he gets tossed out... I don't know if it is or not, but it sure sounds like the Wilhelm screen when he gets tossed. It was, it had Wilhelm tendencies. It, Every yeah, time, like, <laughs> whenever someone goes flying, I just cross my fingers that we're going to get a Wilhelm scream. I point it out to my <laughs> wife anytime it happens. Every show, every right. movie. <laughs> I love pointing it out. But I feel like this was a Wilhelm homage <laughs> to the scream. Yeah. It's hard to say if it is exactly what or not. It seems because that's what I said. I'm like, is that a Wilhelm scream? It sounds it sounds a little different, but uh, yeah, it's hard to say. And it, it's just because the, my takeaway there is like, oh, I bet they really wanted to use the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, you know I don't know if it was or not. It, it actually started in 1951 in a film called Distant Drums. That was the first time the Wilhelm scream was uh, was used. In a project, and uh, you know, I don't know if there is an extensive list online that lists every time it's used. It seems like that would be a very, very difficult list to use because it's just, yeah. it's so prevalent in the industry. But um, yeah, this is definitely a moment. And then you have, we've been talking about hero moments for each of these characters. Would this count as something for Fallsworth? You know, Cap tosses this <laughs> this guy out, and then you get this this moment where Fallsworth comes running up next to the tank. And kind of, you know, the speed ramping slows down as he hurls a bag of, as we'll learn, uh, like bombs up to cap to to toss into this tank. Uh, I mean, how does that play for you as far as the way that this moment is set up? The pacing is definitely weird. Like you have the guy getting tossed out at regular speed. You have a bag getting tossed at slow-mo. <laughs> and then you have cap throwing it into the tank and closing the lid in regular speed <laughs> then the tank blowing up in slow-mo it, it's, it's yeah it was the world weird. of speed ramping has has changed i mean and you saw i mean obviously like Zack snyder used it to incredible effect in 300 where yes. in the middle of a, a fight suddenly everything would go slow-mo just to kind of emphasize uh, a you know a hit or something that looked super cool and the way that this plays i'm like is any of this stuff like tossing a bag up to Captain America, is that like, you know, this is so cool. We're going to slow-mo this bag toss. I don't know. <laughs> it's cool if it were high stakes, but like we're not being surrounded. The tank isn't like 
yeah. that we know of right outside the Allied base. Like, it's quote-unquote just a tank. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's an Uber tank. Yeah, as far but... as we know at this moment. Yeah, it's an Uber. It's big. Yeah. We're going to see how big in just a sec. But yeah, like the way that it's set up, I mean, I agree. It's It feels like this is the the finale to like some big final confrontation. And I mean, it is in the sense of the finale of the montage, but it doesn't feel <laughs> like, oh, is he going to get it up there? You know, and it, like, right. I don't know, it's set up in a way where, you know, it, you know, that that moment, like, can Captain America catch the bag in time? I don't know. It, it comes across weird. Plus, like Fallsworth, it looks like he's digitally added in to the shot. Like it, yeah, it's kind of an awkward stride that he has. Yeah, the whole thing seems weird. And then I get into the Uber tank, and yes, I mean it's big. It looks kind of cool as being such a ridiculously large tank that is like taller. It's towering over some of these like three story houses and stuff. Uh, one suddenly Fallsworth is no longer next to it when we cut to the shot <laughs> and then Captain America jumps off. And uh, this is a moment I always think looks really cheesy and fakey fake. Um, maybe it was done to again for 3d. We talked about that a little in the last minute. We have Captain America jumping toward us as this Uber tank blows up. It looks CG. Uh, he looks fake the way that he's flying through the air in slow motion and then it cuts in the middle of his jump to like a closer shot of him jumping. It's like, why did we cut? We we already had him in the shot. Like the whole thing strikes me as weird. And I always watch this moment going, yeah, it doesn't look as good as it should. Does it work for you? You know what I think is weird about it? What? It, it feels like an explosion from like a Power Rangers TV show. Because there's like, <laughs> <laughs> there's no shockwave. Because usually in like traditional, quote unquote, traditional action movies, when they're when you're jumping from a giant explosion like that, as soon as you like get into the air, you get launched and like and and that shockwave is what like adds to the tension because like, oh, my gosh, did they get away in time? But in this, he's just like jumping off of a ramp and like all of the explosion behind him doesn't it doesn't even look like it's generating any heat not that we could know but like <laughs> it just it feels like just an explosion for the spectacle and not actually cap jumping off of an exploding uber tank well and this is coming after a minute where you know we had dernier uh attach that bomb to the mini tank and and see it blow up in the forest and uh, it's not slowed down like this one is, but that actually looks like model work where they actually had something out there to blow up. And like it, it legitimately looks like, OK, we're going to blow something up because we want this explosion to look real. We want it to look like uh, something real. And I'm, I'm sure it's a, a miniature of some sort or whatever it is that they did to kind of blow something up out there. And maybe they did some digital enhancement to the size of the explosion and stuff, but it, it actually feels like a legitimate explosion. And everything about this shot feels digital, like nothing, like the tank seems fake. Uh, Captain America, like the wire work on him, the kind of this weird slow-mo fall that feels like he's defying gravity in some, you know, I mean, I wanted to call him Tinkerbell because, you know, uh, Gilmore Hodge did earlier in the film. But this is a moment where it feels like he's floating like Tinkerbell, like a fairy through the air. Like nothing <laughs> seems right in this. And yeah. it, ah, I don't know. I always feel like in the scope of 
I guess, a comic book movie. Yeah, they're kind of creating a comic book sort of moment. You have Captain America flying through the air as this explosion, this tank blows up behind him, but it just feels fake in the World War II scope. Yeah, I feel I feel like the montage would have been better left off with the last scene being Cap throwing the shield at the camera. Yeah. That's a perfect ending to a montage. Yeah, right. And we just had like all of the, the different you know shots of people doing things and we see the cool toss of the shield. And here, other than showing us the Uber tank, which we've never really had a clean shot of, uh, this is really the first time we've seen it. Uh, I mean, we've seen like, you know, Schmidt's coop pulling up next to it. We've seen the top of it when uh, when Captain America is running into the, the first Hydra factory. Um, but we've never really been able to kind of get a sense of its scale until this moment. So... I, I don't know. I, as I look at this, I'm like, is this the only reason that it's here? Just so we can see this, the, the tank size? I, I don't know. It just, it all ends up feeling uh, forced. Because you're right. I mean, it feels like ended on the, the shield toss. That's where you end something like this. Mm-hmm. I feel like somebody else said, this has to be in the show, in the movie. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It feels like, you know what, let's get this. We we want to see the tank. People want to yeah. see this big tank. Let's get it in there. And so they just squeezed it in here, which, uh, oh, well. But like yeah. Iron Man took on a tank already. We don't, <laughs> we don't need to one-up them and have Captain America take on a tank. Yeah. And they get it. It's a big tank, but still, yeah. <laughs> So, all right. So then we cut to uh, to Red Skull. <laughs> I will say, I do like the cut from from the flames and Captain America leaping through the air to Red Skull. Interestingly, looking directly into camera. Yeah, he's pissed. Uh, you know, totally breaking the fourth wall, screaming right at us. I mean, it's a great shot of Red Skull's face as he screams. As we'll learn at Zola, you are failing. Um, what do you what do you think of how Red Skull's uh, depicted in the film? Do you like the way that they pulled him off? Oh yeah, they did a great job with him. Honestly, his design is amazing. I'm here for the his like origin and like you know how his face got like that. Like in the in the comics, it's a mask. It's just not as fun. And so giving him this like quote unquote natural look. I, I I love it. He commands the room, he or the the battlefield from in this scene. <laughs> like he he stands out not just because his head is red, <laughs> but like <laughs> just his presence is so intense. Yeah, and I, I think Hugo Weaving delivers on that intensity <sighs> yeah. really well. Yeah, in his performance. Um, and what about Zola? Do you like the way Zola was portrayed here in the film as opposed to like the, a more comic booky version of him? I don't know how you could have done um, the comic book Zola. I mean, they did a really good homage to him in future movies. Yeah, but yeah. in this, having him kind of be just like a, a tinkerer, a tech guy um, that is like the cue to uh, Red Skull's James Bond totally works. And I love the look of him, like in the in the kind of the black hat, like he feels very, um, especially like when he was fleeing the Hydra factory earlier, there's something that feels like he stepped out of like a film noir in the 40s, like his character, <laughs> yeah. with his hat and the big trench coat, and everything feels very, very much of the time. And I love seeing Toby Jones doing it. Like, I, I feel like he 
I don't know. His, his vibe works really well for that character. I love it. Absolutely. It, it always bums me out when I see great actors and great performances set in the past. <laughs> because unless we do another movie set in the past, we're just not going to see them again. Yeah. Well, uh, to your point, though, like Zola was an interesting one to play around with so mm-hmm. that they could find ways to bring him forward, which uh, I mean, as we mentioned in a couple episodes ago, we're probably not going to get that with uh, the Howling Commandos. You know, they're they're probably done for the franchise and Colonel yeah. Phillips, like some of these characters that were of this era, we're just not going to see again. Um which I mean, it is a little bit of a bummer, but I do I do like that they did find ways to bring Zola and, and essentially, I mean, I guess you could say Red Skull back in some capacity. Mm-hmm. There's it, there's an interesting moment in the script. I, I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between Zola and Schmidt because I never exactly am sure <laughs> if if Schmidt knows what Zola's role is. Um, but there's an interesting thing here where in the script, uh, Schmidt when he says, finish your mission, doctor, before the American finishes his, and then he's scripted to put his hands on either side of Zola's head, squeezing a little, bringing their faces close. And then he says this to, to Zola. He says, you have done great things. Do this one more. Uh, It's an interesting thing. Like, I I, I don't know. And I, I guess in the, in the, the way that the film plays, Zola seems to be the guy who's designing weapons, but then Schmidt like always seems to be expecting him to also be like running the show. And so I'm never quite sure what their relationship is, but this line here, I I feel is an interesting one that Red Skull kind of would have thrown in, at least as it was scripted, where it seems like that, that would have been a line saying, yeah, but now I want you to also figure all of this out and how we can stop Captain America. Does it feel like that line would have helped at all to have him say that to Zola in the film? Ending it with before the American finishes his makes it more cinematic, I think. Um, Throwing in that extra line about do this one more throws makes it, I guess, more comic booky in in the sense of from my perspective of like, oh, there's going to be. Uh, history that we're going to be able to see of the great works that Zola has done in the name of Red Skull and the name of Schmidt. But because this is the, this movie are when we get introduced to both of them and we're probably not going to see them again. I guess the argument is if you take it out, then we don't have to justify that sentence. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I can see that actually. Yeah. It's an interesting relationship, though, and I, I, yeah, I guess my issue is that I feel like the fact, <laughs> the fact that we cut to Red Skull and he's screaming at us, the audience, but you know, directly into into Zola's face. We are Zola, the way that the shot is played, where his POV, as he screams at him, "You are failing," and then the whole thing. We're continually delayed because you cannot outwit a simpleton with a shield. <laughs> I don't know. I mean. Does Zola? I, I, what is Schmidt expecting Zola to be doing? I mean, that. Yeah. I, I mean, like, what is your ex? What do you think that Z- that Sh- Zola's job is? Like, do you think it's just building weapons, or is he supposed to be strategizing and planning this whole thing too? I feel like if he's just designing the weapons, he doesn't need to be out on the field. Like, he doesn't need to be here with Schmidt. He needs to be back in the lab designing something. Like, we'll see in other scenes and stuff, and, but like... Right. 
And he says that, like, and that's what's funny is his next line, his, his response to Red Skulls, this is hardly my area of expertise. I merely develop the weapons. I cannot fire them. So, yeah, it's like, I don't know. Like, does he... <laughs> Does Schmidt bring him along just because it's his it's his right hand man? Yeah, he just needs him there. He needs a he needs someone to punch. Yeah, like I feel I feel like this is classic corporate structure. <laughs> you get you get your associate that you've moved up to shift supervisor, but you expect them to run the entire shop because the manager is like at a quote-unquote training for the last two weeks. <laughs> like, that's that's the kind of, like, relationship they have where Zola's just like, listen, I'm a key holder. <laughs> I can clock our associates in and out, but don't expect me to go and place the order for the next, uh, you know, shipment and, and all of our stock. It's, it's not fair. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, Hydra, I mean, uh, Schmidt had yelled at him earlier. He's like, I want everything running 60% uh, faster, you know? And, and so he's expecting him to run everything, but he's also dragging him around on all of these, on, on all of these <laughs> missions and stuff. It's just like, when is this guy going to get anything done? Uh, I, it's, I strike, it strikes me as funny. And part of me thinks that this is a case where, I don't know if it's the scope of the script or the budget and they needed to kind of reduce characters or something, but it feels like Dr. Zola would have been great to be like the guy in the shop, like in the way that it's portrayed in this film, he would essentially be the Howard Stark for Schmidt, right? For Hydra. He would be always in his lab building stuff. And then there would have been another character that would have been Red Skull's right-hand man who is actually the one who is kind of running, you know, helping him run the show and, and do all the strategizing and everything. And it seems like budget-wise, they're like, you know, that's just too many characters. Let's just have Zola do all of it. And it ends up feeling like, sometimes I'm like, I, I feel like sh- the way that it ends up playing is it seems like Schmidt doesn't know what Zola's job is. <laughs> sometimes yeah. he's just like... Yeah, maybe he's just uh, understaffed, yeah. even though he has all of Nazi Hydra. <laughs> well, speak, speaking of understaffing, maybe it's because in situations like this, when, you know, we have a Hydra soldier bring up manager Velt and who says, I'm sorry, we fought to the last man. And Red Skull's response is to pull his gun out and shoot him. <laughs> like, maybe if you're understaffed, maybe this is why. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what an interesting looking pistol that he has. Yes. OK, so I'm glad you brought that up. So it is, you know, in. It's very funny, the the things that they came up with specifically for the movie, because this is a specific uh, gun. We had, a, you know, we had the Hydra weapons earlier, but this is actually the Hydra pistol that we get to see. And this was something that Zola had designed that has the Tesseract weapon or the Tesseract energy that he is able to shoot here. And so it's interesting that at this point, you know, this has been developed for him to start uh to start using and shooting. And I guess we saw, did we, I'm trying to remember if he shoots um, at Captain America. I think when they're on the bridge, uh, did they shoot, does he shoot him there? No, no, no. It's, it's later. It's actually later um, when they bring Captain America uh, to him um, that he'll have it again. So, so he, we, this is the first time we see him use this, um, his little Hydra pistol, but. um, And, and Zola can't watch. What's okay? The way that that plays, I, I think it's interesting because yeah, Zola we've seen seems very 
um, like, he seems to have issues with the way that Schmidt is kind of taking on the Nazis and all of this sort of stuff. What's funny about the way that he looks away is part of it is like disgust, like, I can't watch, I can't watch you kill somebody else. But part of it is also like when, when Velt says, we fought to the last man, it cuts to Zola as he turns his face away. Like, as, as he's pulling his gun, it's almost like he's just saying, oh, you're such a waste of humanity. Like, he, he looks away like, uh, I can't even look at you. You're not even worth it. It's funny the way that, that like, you could almost have a double reading on the way that he, he does that. Yeah. Yeah, the framing is interesting. Yeah, it, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting moment there that you have um, with his face as he's kind of seeing. It's him looking away. It's the gun coming out. Great tilt up to to um, schmidt's face you know and that fantastic blue light as he shoots the actor playing manager velt is patrick monkberg he is um not a super busy actor but um you know he has done a few things if you look at his imdb um top four imdb says he's known for this film captain america the first avenger also hamlet from 2007 this is um a, a different Hamlet that I'm familiar with. Alexander Fodor directed this adaptation of Hamlet. He also was in Love Soup, and the last film was Anna. So those are the four projects that uh, that he is known for over on IMDb. I always like to call that out for the actors when we get a chance. And that's the end of Velt, as he is uh, <laughs> shot by Schmidt. Mm-hmm. Aye, 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 aye. Uh, <laughs> and, that, and that takes us to the, uh, to the Alpine Pass. Um, we cut in on um, good old Fallsworth looking through the binoculars. Um, okay, we're in uh, the mountains. We don't know. I mean, you know, there's the Alps running through Europe. So we're assuming we're somewhere up in the Alps. Not exactly sure where, but it is snowy. It is cold. Um, what do you think of the dress for people? Uh, <laughs> should they be wearing gloves? Any sort of hats to cover oh. their ears? <laughs> Yeah, the gloves is a great point. <laughs> I struggle with this every time I watch this. I'm like, you guys, you're up on a mountaintop. Yeah. And like Captain, uh, like Steve is just standing there without even his helmet on. Like, I, I can't imagine how cold all these people are. <laughs> well, it's it's tough to hold a super soldier to human standards. All right, all right. So, so Steve, maybe, but the rest I, of the yeah, guys. I'll chalk that up to Super Soldier, but the, the other <laughs> six. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I feel like environmental uh, considerations aren't really a thing in in movies that jump scenes or like uh, theaters like this because they want their characters to be in like their uniform and not like a parka well yeah and that's something that i was wondering about because uh well and also i think part of it is they when they're filming on on green screen sets like the bulk of these films end up being you know because they're doing them fast and they got to do it quick and you know that this little mountainside cliff that they're on was essentially something built on a soundstage yeah. and there's a big green screen wall next to them and they're just digitally filling all this in after the fact and uh and so we get a sense of you know exactly what's going on here the challenge i have when they're filming that way is yeah we're not out in the actual uh field filming something where you are going to have to deal with the the realities of the, the weather 
Yeah. And, and part of me, I understand the, the side of like, yeah, but you know, you know, you, you want to keep the characters identifiable in, you know, Dum Dum always wearing his, his, his bowling hat and, and Fallsworth's in his little beret and they all have their own established looks. And I mean, we haven't known them for that long in the film. So we want to kind of keep those looks, but at the other, on the other side of things, it's like, I, I don't know. I always go to toy sales. It's like, dude, you could have had the entirety of the Howling Commandos sold in their outfits, and then you could have the parka set where they're all right. also in parkas, and and that could have been like they could have come up with something interesting for their look here. And I don't know. I feel like it could have added to it. I know we're always working with budget, so many things that that influence that, but we're also still early in the MCU. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're still you know not with Disney. And so they're still, you know, and this is still a point where they're trying to prove that this whole thing can work, right? I mean, I know the Avengers is in production at the same time as this. So obviously they're like, you know, we're going to get the, at least these first six films done. We'll see if we can make it work. But yeah, I feel like there was still some people saying, well, we're not going to go crazy with the budget just yet. Yeah. Two things that stick out to me when I'm analyzing this minute by minute. <laughs> Uh huh. Um, one is why is that rope there? And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I like they could have just set they could have set that up for themselves, but like we don't see it happen. So now I'm curious. Uh, but also when they're doing that first like pan where they're up on the ledge, you can see the railroad tracks, and they look not great. Like, they're almost completely covered in snow. I don't... I've never been in a train going through snow. But, like, I feel like that just looks very dangerous. (laughs) 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 If you're moving... I guess we don't technically know what's going to be here just yet. But we're going to assume it's a train. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. And, like, that. I don't know. That seems seems unsafe i don't know i feel like it's like weathered up too much or maybe i'm just being a little too nitpicky well i mean uh, yeah because obviously we're you know we're gonna see in the next minute what exactly is on this track but the idea of uh, i don't know i i always go to movies where like when it's really snowy i feel like trains seem to slow down because they don't want to hit a patch where where things are iced up too much or something like that. Like they're trying to be real careful with the way that they're moving. And then uh, on the other side of that, it's like one of those um, things where they have to go slow because just in case there's a giant snow drift across the track, they need to potentially get out and like shovel to get the snow off the track before they can move forward. And so, yeah, the fact that they're, uh, you know, the tracks look potentially hazardous seems like, (laughs) Maybe not the best way to, for them to be speeding along. I guess we'll have to see. Are they speeding along? We'll find out in the next minute. Right. What was the other thing that you that you wanted to call out? Oh, the rope. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, this is something that I I do wonder about. Like, how did this how did this thing get here? Um, did they have it? We don't see anybody using it. I mean, the Howling Commandos have used um, a a zip line a zip line gun. I think in Agents of Shield, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. We it don't have up... an established rope guy. 
on the commandos. No, we don't. <laughs> and it's weird that like they could have set this up instead of Fallsworth with binoculars, we could have had Fallsworth with a zipline gun shooting the line and getting it ready. And the fact that it's just here, it does come in like, huh, okay, that's convenient that there's this line here. I, I think the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, I wonder if it's like a a phone line or something for Hydra. Like, mm. um, like that's that's where my brain goes. Like when you see a wire like that cutting through an area like this that you don't see them that like putting in with a zipline gun, my brain is, oh, okay, it's some sort of like phone line or something. But yeah, that checks out. That's also not established. So it's not. <laughs> no, yeah. What we do see, though, uh, is we see Marita and Jones sitting next to what turns out to be like a Hydra uh, radio device that they're they must have gotten from one of their um, attacks. And they are using you can see the giant Hydra logo on the side and on the the inside with kind of I don't know, it looks like all sorts of information as far as like how to use it or something. And they're eavesdropping. And that's where we end the minute with the two of them listening in on some Hydra message. Um, you know, it, it plays fine. I like the way that that we're setting up that those two are kind of the calm guys here. And uh, yeah, it works. It works. Merida has on his pouch. I'm like trying to read <laughs> looking for every little Easter egg. Uh, it's just so strange going like, Minute by minute, it's it's such a different experience <laughs> for movies. Um, I know, yeah. I it's got, it says case, and then I don't know what the second line says. And it says, I think, cup, and then 090248. There is a whole world of, like, old, like, World War II military bags and cases and stuff. And it's amazing, like, the people who still buy and sell that sort of stuff online, like... It, like those those hardcore collectors and this they would probably be able to identify like hey, yeah all i can see on that is case the rest of it is kind of i don't know if it's just worn off or it's just not lit well for us and i thought the next line said clip um not cup but I could, uh, I maybe could, clip yeah but so i don't know would it be like a gun or a pl- place for him to have his clips but you know i don't know props yeah. to them for not having like a brand new looking pouch <laughs> Yeah, right? Yeah, no, it really looks, like, worn down, which is nice. Yeah. And also, you get a great shot of the SSR, like, little flag, or the, the wing emblem, which we've only seen, I think, on the side. I mean, we have it kind of on the on the shirts, um, like when Steve is wearing the SSR shirt earlier in the film. And you kind of get it on the side of his helmet. But here you actually get it on Marita's jacket sleeve, which is, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a neat little thing that I don't know if I've ever noticed before that... Uh, so it's like, is this is this now? Like, are these guys now the official like SSR team running around? Which is, I mean, I guess we kind of got that sense that you know when Colonel Phillips said in, in last week that he's, you know, he and Cap they both were trying to build a team for him to go out and and fight Hydra. I guess this is the official team. That's that's our sign. The last thing I guess is the the keyboard, the keypad on the front of the radio. Yeah. Right. 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 I know there are different versions of the QWERTY layout. This is like just off of the QWERTY layout. It's not only just off, but there are two of them. Right. One's like a label and one's the actual keys or something. Yeah. I I don't know if we'll get a better shot of this, but it's really funky the way that this thing is designed. <laughs> and and it, I can't tell exactly. the t- The typing is so small on the top of it like there's a big label 
um, right underneath kind of that big lit up dial that he's um, working on. And I can't tell, I mean, something like communication, um, Zyring. That's a really long word. It is insane. Well, I know it's some of these places where they like combine words when it's like it has its own descriptors, you know, like this is the communication something or other. And I cannot quite figure out. I'm trying to zoom in. What is it? Because it's it's definitely communication and then sign rictung s-e-i-n let me see if i can <laughs> do this live uh facility communication facility is the last part of it oh, interesting so but i can't like cut cut katung tvc 15 c-a-t-t-u-n-g is that what it is i don't know it's either a c or a g well, that if it's G Gatung, that would be genus, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, it's obviously something that was from the Hydra, uh, you know, their communication facility that was uh, producing these boxes for them to communicate with each other. Yeah, it's it's a cool little box. I like it. Agreed. All right. Well, I don't think I have anything else for this minute. We're going to find out um, more about what's on these tracks in the next one. So should we wrap it up and come back next time? Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, remind everybody where they can uh, you know, learn more about what you're up to out there. I also have my own podcast called Hype is My Superpower. Uh, it's me and my best friend, and we talk comic books because that's what makes us hype. Uh, it's kind of like a book club where we just talk about the comics that we've read over the last week and basically catch each other up because he's reading 90s x-men i'm reading current 616 comics it's a lot of fun that's awesome uh very much fun uh, to check that podcast out so check it out everybody and uh will thank you so much for joining me here today thank you for having me and we'll be back tomorrow so until next time true believers see you tomorrow Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Music